All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball Coaches. Welcome to this week's Get Together, part two of the Tommy Hansen interview. Tommy is a strength and conditioning coach located out in Illinois. This is part two of his discussion with us. He's going to talk about how he tailors his athletes' workouts to best fit their unique needs and workloads. And he will also talk about, in today's episode, does lifting weights stunt kids' growth and how to maximize the results while minimizing the risks when it comes to youth athletes working on strength and conditioning. Before we get to those two topics, we are going to wrap up our discussion about making practices and training sessions fun through the use of competitions. So we're going to get right to it. We're going straight into part two. If you haven't already listened to episode 162, go back, listen to part one of the interview. So then you can come to part two. Speaking of part two, let's get into it. Oh, just driving competition. So what's ultimately drive, like I said, what's ultimately driving your adaptation is the intent behind everything that you do. And the more you can make it fun and the more that you can make it feel like play, the more likely the kids not only are going to get results from your programming, but also are going to come back because they enjoy the training environment. A lot of coaches will talk about buy-in, how to get buy-in from kids. For me, it comes down to a few things. Do you have a training environment that kids legitimately want to come back to? Do you treat them like human beings? And do you get results? If you do those three things in competition, being the driver of a lot of those, you'll be in a great spot as a coach. So like when I So at times, like over the summer, I would also do hitting lessons with kids. It's unbelievable the intent that they drive behind their swings once you give them a target. So if I'm doing hitting with a kid and I want them to hit the ball to right center and we're in a cage, I'll give them a little window and I'll tell them, okay, first one to hit 10 through here wins. And they get the same amount of tries and I just alternate five pitches each. Once you give them a target and you tell them to compete against each other, it's like the focus. It's like a flip of a switch immediately because you can do all the drill work in the world of kids. If you can find a way to make that drill work still like the where you're trying to get out of the drill to happen, but make it competitive, it's it's a double whammy. So it doesn't matter what drill it is, if it's in the weight room or if it's on the field, or if they're doing, taking ground balls and you tell these second, third graders, okay, you guys get 10 balls and uh, whoever feels the most cleanly wins, their focus immediately increases. They want to compete. It's not just strength conditioning. It's all around. Anytime you can make any drill competitive, you'll drive intent through the room. And that's what I've seen time and time again in all the athletes that I've been with. Good stuff. Hey, I want to have you maybe a few minutes or a minute on the layman's term for ad- adaptation for the listeners. But before I have you explain maybe on a kind of a layman's term for me as much as anybody, <laughs> what you mean by adaptation, love your three step plan or your three part plan. It's like, hey, you want buy-in? Cool. Hey, everybody's always saying, get buy-in, get buy-in. But you laid out a great three-step approach. Make them want to come back. Make the environment fun and enjoyable. Treat them as humans or treat them as people and treat them, in other words, treat them with respect. Treat your players with respect. So make it fun. Make it an enjoyable environment. Competition makes it fun for 97% of kids out there. And if it doesn't, the other three need to get on board with competing a little bit, if not against others, with themselves to be better. And then treat them with respect and then results. They can all go to together just because we treat our players with respect and we have a great team culture doesn't mean we're not measuring and trying to get great results and the results could actually be measuring your team culture and engagement so i just love that three-step approach make it fun make them want to come back treat them as people treat them with respect and get results (laughs) i love that last one i think gets the push to the side is we want to sound like we're all 
do-gooders. You can look at that bad or good, and it's just like money. Money can do a lot of good, and it can and cause a lot of problems. Depends on how you use it and treat it. But let's dive into adaptation just a little bit. What do you mean? I'm a youth baseball coach. When you're saying adaptation, you maybe a defin- your definition of that. Adaptation is simply taking any physical quality and taking it to a different or taking it pretty much to the next level or where your body is going to adapt and what the result of that's going to be. So here's an example. If I am wanting to increase speed, the best things I can do is to sprint. If I sprint and my time, so here, let's phrase it in a different way. So adaptation just a means to an end. So it's basically taking you from where your current level of performance is and whatever quality you're trying to improve and you're elevating that ceiling. You can adapt both ways, but we'll just say, let's go with strength here. So say I get a kid that was his first time lifting weights and I teach him how to do a trap bar deadlift and he can only lift about 65 pounds, which is usually where I start a lot of kids because that's the lightest I can get on a trap bar with a big plate. So what I'll do is I'll put a kid on there and then give have him trap bar deadlift once a month and now he can trap bar deadlift over 100 pounds. So the adaptation he gets from that training is simply taking the strength that he had originally lifting it with 65 pounds and now he can lift 40 more pounds. Adaptation is just taking whatever level you're at and it's changing your physical capacities. If I was detraining and I didn't lift it all, so say that kid was at 100 pounds, he took six or three months off of training, he comes back, he's back to square one. His adaptation is now a decrease in strength. So it's basically taking wherever you are and whatever your status is in terms of your performance, elevating it or decreasing it. Your body adaptation is a long way of saying your body's adapting to whatever stimulus you're going to give it. If you're going to sprint and jump and do all these things, the adaptation from that is you're going to get stronger and you're going to get more powerful. If you don't do those things, your adaptation is going the other way and you're going to detrain. So it's pretty much point A to point B, whether that's an increase or decrease in performance. So adaptation can either go up, down. Now I got a much clearer understanding of that adaptation word, which I hear a lot of from strength and conditioning coaches. Thank you for that clarification with the adaptation. Okay, so is there something you're doing? Moving on to, you know, we got a couple more here that I'd like to hit on. Again, Tommy, thank you so much for being here and I want to respect your time, but I know the listeners, if you're listening closely and you're taking notes or you're going to, I recommend listeners go back and listen to this a second time. You're going to get a lot out of this. With that said, next question here, is there something you are doing as a coach that you believe is different than the majority of coaches or most coaches or something you're doing that you feel is ahead of the curve? I don't know necessarily if it's ahead of the curve, but it might be something that a lot of coaches aren't doing, especially in the private sector, because a lot of times coaches in the private sector will completely disregard what is happening at sport practice and what if there's school lifting. So a lot of these kids will have gym classes where they're weightlifting. And I think a lot of times private sector coaches will let their ego get in the way a little bit and just put their program on paper and say, we're doing this regardless of what you're doing outside of here. And I think that's a detriment to the athletes. I guess if you could say, if you want to say ahead of the curve, I think it's just intelligent training and all the coaches, all the good coaches are doing this, is that you're having conversations with these athletes about what they're doing outside of your training and finding the low-hanging fruits you want to attack that'll yield the best possible result. I'll give an example because I have a lot of volleyball players. This can ring true in baseball as well, but this is a really good way of illustrating it. So a lot of my volleyball players will play year round. They jump a lot during practice. Sometimes they'll come in after practice. I try to structure it to where they're before practice. So if I had a plan in place where I had them do a bunch of jumps and everything I wanted to do in training, and they come to me after a practice and they're exhausted because they did a thousand jumps, it'd be really dumb on my part to have them do something they just did all day. And you can do that with volleyball coaches, volleyball coaches. Make sure you're talking to these 
these athletes know what they're doing outside of your training so that you can provide the missing link of what they're getting. So most of the time, especially young kids, it is that strength aspect because a lot of times all the random stressors that they're getting from all these different games and all these different practices, they're not getting an actual heavy load applied or they can put a lot of force into the ground, kind of that max intent we talked about a little while ago. So a lot of times that low hanging fruit is that max intent, but you don't know if that's what they actually need unless you have conversation with these athletes. If you're a coach listening to this, whether you're skills coach or a strength conditioning coach, make sure you're talking to these athletes on a daily basis when they walk in, if their schedules change, make sure you have a good understanding, at least to a general degree of what they're doing outside. Because if you just go with your program, because that's the program that you, that you do, you might overtrain these athletes, they could get hurt, it might be dangerous. It does take a lot of time and it does take a lot of effort to do a lot of these things. But I think on the back end, the athletes are much more fond of your programming and it's also much better for them. So I think as a coach, it's very important to do those things. So consider what their previous workload was the day before, the day of, or that week. Have an exactly. understanding of what your players are going through. Now, at the young level, that's probably not going to matter a whole lot, but there are a few things right. like throwing, like pitching is definitely one. What Tommy just said, and as I'm speaking to the listener here, you could apply definitely to the workload of the arm and consider that. And we've always done that pretty, we've always been pretty cognizant as a baseball community of the arm workload, but it's not just the arm workload. It's a lot of different things. At the end of the day, this goes back, Tommy, to getting in and get the expertise of a strength and conditioning coach involved here. If you can't afford a coach or private coaches, you can follow Tommy at a minimum. It's hard. I know as a coach trying to give coaches something to go do on their own, it does take some time and you definitely got to organize it so everybody gets the results and it's safe and everybody can do it. That information is out there, but at a minimum, trying to look into getting a strength and conditioning coach to assess your kid, your players. And I actually would recommend if you can to all of you that are listening, we got a lot of coaches, Tommy, that have their, that they're coaching like a team. So they're coaching, they have their kid on the team or maybe not, but maybe they have a couple kids on the team, but they're coaching a team of say 12 kids. And I recommend you get a strength and conditioning coach out there. You pay a strength and conditioning coach to go out there and then everybody pitches in. So the strength and conditioning coach might actually make a little bit more for that practice, but everybody is paying a lot less. And I've utilized that over the years to go into areas that didn't maybe have the resources you might not just say, hey, go get your own strength and conditioning coach to your players. You might bring one in and talk to the parents and say, hey, can you, do you all want to pitch in? If you have 12 kids and they each pitch in $10, the strength and conditioning coach is making 120, but they can come in and maybe do a two-hour session. And I think everybody would win depending on the rates. I'm just speaking broadly, of course. But I think that might be the first step if you're trying to get your team involved. And many of you probably could go out and get that and it doesn't need to be a three-day-a-week thing. I definitely think that's a must if you haven't already gathered my thoughts on that. And just speaking to Tommy right now, just it's even pushing me more towards the the necessity almost getting a strength and conditioning coach or getting stronger, more mobile and things like that. Tommy, is there anything that you'd like to add that you feel youth coaches should hear or know? Is there something that you'd like to add that we haven't touched on yet? One thing I left out in the myths, which is probably something I could have talked about there was the idea that it still holds true, just like kids throwing curveballs, is that lifting is going to stunt their growth and it's going to impact where their bones form. And that's a common idea that's thrown around a lot of times by parents and coaches. It's just like anything else that we talked about on this podcast. It's completely nuanced. It's completely situational. 
kids are jumping out of trees. Kids are lifting heavy stuff in the yard, helping their parents with yard work, giving them a kettlebell deadlift and some dumbbells to do a little dumbbell bench press isn't going to stunt their growth. But just like anything else, an improperly applied stressor to them, which is by weightlifting or by overuse, throwing or too many weekend tournaments in a row or just no rest, anything that's applied incorrectly can result in problems. I think it's important not to look at the implement itself, but how the people that are using implements are using them. And that's going to determine whether it's good or bad. Lifting is just a means to an end, just like any other type of coaching properly applied, very good for kids. I have kids that are in second grade that I'm teaching how to squat, but I just have them with real tiny dumbbells just so they learn. That's not going to stunt their growth. I think it's just really important to really start looking at all these different things from a nuanced perspective, because a lot of the things that we've discussed online, they might appear black and white, but in reality and in practice, if they're completely nuanced and situational. So try to find somebody that can find, that can describe that nuance to you. And they're probably a good person to be around. You hit on something about working with, you said second grade, something I've heard over the years that starting too young, doing strength conditioning when they're too young could lead to stunting their growth or whatever. We've heard this different types of war or it's not good. What are your thoughts on that? What would you say to youth coaches that have a seven, eight, nine, if they have concerns about starting too young or the things they've heard that might be negatives about starting too young? Not necessarily true, but things they've heard. So I think it's usually the same argument that it's unsafe and that it's going to stunt their growth or it's going to damage them long-term. I hope people don't get the impression that I'm pushing strength conditioning on young kids. I'm not. If they're under sixth grade and they're in elementary school, I only allow kids to be there if they really want to be there. So what I'll do is I'll have their older brothers in there. And if their parents are sitting and watching the session from a side and they got their younger brothers with them and their brothers are like, Hey, I think I'd have a lot of fun doing that. Then I let them come and be a part of it. But they're jumping, they're throwing med balls for fun. They're, they're doing broad jumps, competing, sprinting, all that stuff. For me, it's entirely intro. So no weights are ever going to be grinded out. It's just going to be so when they mature and get older, I don't have to teach the lifts again. They know how to do rows. They know how to deadlift. They know how to squat. They know how to hinge. All those different things. And once I feel like those kids are ready for it, I'll start increasing the weight a little bit. But for those young kids, I think it's important. It's not unsafe, but don't think also as a parent when the kids are that young that you have to force them into something. Because I've had some parents contact me with five and six-year-olds. Most kids that are that age aren't ready to understand how to do a lot of different things. Yeah, I can have them run and jump and all that stuff, but they can do all that on the playground. So they don't need me for that. And that's what I'll tell those parents. But if they're generally interested in like second, third, fourth, fifth grade, and the kids want to learn how to do stuff, it's 100% teaching and just making it fun and competitive. I think as a parent, if you can get your kids involved at a young age, make sure that they want to do it. Because I've also had parents that will force their kids into doing it and their kids are miserable and they don't want to be there, that's not good for the kid either. So if the kid really wants to be there, I'm very open to having them there and teaching them. Love it. Yeah, very clear with the listeners. Tommy is not saying the young kids should be out there doing bench press and Olympic lifting and whatnot and racking <laughs> <Absolutely> plates. <not. laughs> well, personally, I've had a lot of success working with high school teams and even college players and some pro players. We don't even get super heavy on a lot of stuff because I don't feel like they they were ready, but it was a lot of, I've seen your videos and I've shared this, your YouTube channel. You have a lot of single leg, a lot of jump, a lot of back. Inherently, there's going to be balance involved with that. Anytime you do a lot of single leg work, 
work. And I'm a huge fan of baseball is really a single leg sport. So the listeners, we've discussed this a little bit. Baseball is a single leg sport in a lot of ways. Think about when a hitter makes contact with a ball, go look at any major league hitter. Just Google the image that any hitter, trout, any of them judge. And almost always that back foot, he's either off the ground at contact or very close to being off the ground. But almost all their weight is on that front foot, causing that ground force production. Same with pitching, even more so with pitching. There's a lot of pitchers when they let go of the ball, that back foot is already off the ground. Sure, they use the other leg to get there. I get that. But it went one leg and then they transferred to the other leg. So you could say it was a one, it's a lot of single leg ground force production, not to get too deep, but youth sports or in a training facility like Tommy has, it, you don't need to go to Planet Fitness and get them on the bench press and do Olympic lifts and get them on a platform. There's so much to be done in this. And when we say strength and conditioning, I, I know when I was younger, it was all like, oh, Olympic lifting, snatch, clean, jerk, bench press, deadlifts and things heavy. Let's get four plates on every side. We got the whole setup. We're at the gym. We got our platform. But no, this is stuff that can be done on AstroTurf or in a training facility or out on the baseball field. I think that's something I want to be upfront with everybody just real clear. I know Tommy was. Strength and conditioning is super important. And just think about young kids. Tommy, these kids nowadays are becoming less mobile and less mobile throughout their, their joints, especially like the hips and their shoulders. They're becoming less mobile, especially in the hips, because they're, they're more sedentary now. I think that's something moving forward we need to start trying to counteract. So strength and conditioning may not just be maybe less about strength for young kids and more about mobility as more and more kids are sitting there playing video games for six hours a day or sitting in a desk or sitting on a chair at a desk, sitting on the couch, less active. Would you agree with that, Tommy, or do you want to yeah, add something? I love that you brought up the sedentary part because there are several kids that I'm with that have complained about in school, they have less recess time. So when they come and train with me, especially when it's young kids, even though for me, it's a structured way to teach them. And like we said, adaptation before, get them faster, all this stuff. For me, I'm structuring it to get those things. But to them, it feels like an alternative recess. When they come in and they enjoy themselves and they race and they tag each other and do all these different games, they think it's play. They think it's game. It's an extended recess in a sense. So it's not that I'm having them come in and do all this structured training I would do with college and pro athletes. I wouldn't do that the same way. I would combine some things, the competition aspects and that stuff. But that's think for young kids, if they fall in love with the training process and it feels like recess to them, they're more willing to come back. And also it gives them an extra 45 minutes to 60 minutes once or twice a week to come in and enjoy themselves when they're not getting that at school a lot of times. I think it's a win-win. They have fun, they're learning, and I'm getting, and I'm able to structure in a way that I'm also getting out what I need to as well. You're filling a void. If anything, you're filling a void from what schools, and I'm, I know firsthand about the schools, the school system, how they've, it's been less and less PE, less and less recess and less play. And then technology is what technology is. TVs are bigger than ever and computers and phones are greater than ever and video games are better than ever and kids are more sedentary. So if anything, it's just going to a strength and conditioning coach could almost just be a net neutral, a net neutral rather than going and deteriorating much faster as a youth with our health and just being more fit, more active. There's something to be said, and the more we talk here, the more I've thought about it over the years, there's something to be said for prioritizing youth players, prioritizing strength and conditioning over even, like you said, being seeing a pitching coach. I'm not saying you shouldn't, and Tommy was very clear. Not that you can't go see a pitching coach, you shouldn't, or a hitting coach. Of course, that skill development's important. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can coexist just fine, and again, but also goes back to that workload. Tommy, I saw you hitting at Top Golf on your Twitter. You tweeted out at Top Golf. You were speaking of and the mobility, that swing. You're left-handed, and you were hitting those off the top of the net. You're hitting just rockets right down the middle. Yeah, it's a trick on that. 
Yeah. So part of my training, the reason I think some of the athletes have come to train with me is because they see that I'm actively trying to increase my vertical jump and also trying to increase my swing speed. So I'm in an active pursuit myself. So I'm a self experimentation for a lot of my athletes. They love watching my videos. I love making the videos. It's a lot of fun. It's always been a goal. I went to a golf simulator a while back and my max ball speed is 183. I thought with that, I'd be able to clear top golf because I've hit the top of the net a few times. I haven't quite cleared it yet, but I will one of these days. So yeah, it was a top golf company event. I invited some athletes out. We had a good time and I was trying to put one out of the yard, but I was just short. So maybe I got to hit the weight room a little more. That's impressive. Hey, you're swing looking. That was beautiful. You weren't just crushing it. You were crushing a lot of them straight. You were hitting them all straight. At least the ones on here is a, quite a good sample size. Hey, we got a Top Golf in Boise. So if you're ever out in Boise, Tommy, I'll take oh, you out to Top Golf. I'm always. I love Top Golf. Anytime I can hit some bombs, I'm in. You know, I would just go and watch you hit. That was fun to watch. I'll tell you one thing. What's interesting? What you thought about, or what I thought about, as you're saying, I was watching your videos, and this is something I know it sounds weird as a, from the listeners. It might sound weird at least to the listener. Tommy, I look at strength and conditioning coaches from a from a sports perspective, especially baseball, where you're not trying to move massive loads of mass like in football, and you're not trying to you're not competing with how much weight you can lift like Olympic lifting. You're playing a sport, and you want to be strong for the sport. You don't need necessarily more than enough, say, bench press strength or whatever, or, or any of those. I'm always a little wary, a little weary of the coaches that are bulky, that look like your your Olympic lifting coach, and that are coaching the baseball players. And not that they can't. I'm not saying I don't want to be. I'm not judging them, but I am a little bit like because I'm looking at you. You look strong. You look healthy, but you also look like you could go out and pitch and play baseball, and you have mobility. I know it sounds funny, but I know over the years. I've seen a lot of different coaches work and I played like in professional baseball. Some of the coaches were really bulky looking weightlifting guys, like the Russian weightlifter guys. And I, and I saw somewhat of a little correlation, a little bit. Again, this is nuanced and definitely not black and white, but I saw more of them were into the heavy lifting and they were doing Olympic lifting. And as I gotten older, it's, I found it, talking to you and studying it seems like that's definitely not the, the best approach for a baseball player in particular. And there's a lot of different other things we can do, but I'm not saying you shouldn't do some of it, but again, I'd love to have you come back on again, Tommy, and talk. Maybe we could dive into a few other things and have you come back on in the summertime. It'd be great. And maybe then, maybe then you show it yet. You can tell us about clearing that net at Top Golf. <laughs> Where is the Top Golf by you? Where's the closest one to you? The one we were at was in Naperville. Naperville, okay. Naperville, Illinois. Well, and then there's another one in Schaumburg. We were the one at Naperville. They're toward the city. All right. If you're out in Naperville and you're you're driving on the road beyond the net, watch out. If you see a physically strong-looking left-handed hitter, a swinger, watch out. Tommy might be putting one on your side view mirror or your windshield. Tommy, thank you so much for coming out. And that wraps up our interview with Tommy Hansen. Just keep in mind, Tommy is somebody who played high-level baseball. He works with youth athletes at this time, and he studied under one of the most recognized or highly thought of strength and conditioning coaches for baseball, specifically for baseball. And with all those things considered, I thought it was going to be a good interview, and Tommy did not disappoint. I hope you all enjoyed that. We'll see you here next week. 
next Tuesday when the next episode comes out. Next week, we'll discuss, I'll share out an outfielder tip, a tip to get your outfielders better, to get more outs, to prevent more runners from moving up bases. So next week, I'll share that tip out. Until then, take care of yourself, your health, take care of your families, of course. Taking care of those families is so important, as you all know. Be there for those friends that are there for you and take this information that Tommy shared out. Take the information you're getting here and put it into play. Put it into action. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.